Uh, good things in my life. The Monhun. Oh, Mon- uh, Monsty Hunty. The Monhun is good. Yeah. Uh, the Monhun is strong. The Monhun has been good to me this year. I've I've been hunting monsters of my own. Yeah, you've been you've been hunting in a Polish monster hunter ripoff. I mean, sometimes the monsters aren't even the creatures. Oh. Sometimes it's the goddamn humans. Well, all I want to do is hurt lizards. Your watch is so loud. It's fine. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's John. And I'm to- trying to hide my watch. It's okay, John. And together we're Henry and John's watch. Back again to hit all of the high cultural topics of today. Yeah, that's our job. That's everything that we do. Right? I thought that's what we do. We talk about the zeitgeist and however we... We, we we encounter it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we encounter the zeitgeist every day. I do. The amount of stuff that I consume on a daily basis, a lot of it is trash YouTube channels, but the amount of stuff that I consume on a daily basis is pretty staggering. Yeah, I mean, if we think about it, most of what we consume is trash. They put a lot of trash out there. And yeah. we have to sift through the garbage to find the good things in life. Here's my statement on that. Most of what we consume is garbage because, not because we're being taken advantage of, but because most thought is garbage, and some thought is high art. I mean, we can't all be geniuses, and not all geniuses make art, and there's a lot of art there, so it stands to reason some of it's going to be garbage. Yeah, most of it, I would say. Yeah, except for the truly inspired, touched by the gods art. That is, like, I don't know, who's really good? Edgar Wright most of the time on a good day. Yeah, Edgar Wright on a good day is is touched by the gods Sistine Chapel style. I, I recently saw a picture, so you know the, the movie Baby Driver. Yes, I've heard of it and seen it. Directed by Edgar Wright. Yes, I've heard of him. And uh, you know that movie features a lot of car action. Yeah, I believe it's a car action game. Movie. Oh. <laughs> it's a movie. Okay, yeah. But the actors in the car, they have they have to they're too focused on acting. Mm-hmm. They're not actually driving. You know what I saw? A what? A picture of the contraption used <laughs> to control the car while the actors are acting in it. It's uh for anyone who hasn't seen this, it's basically straight out of Mad Max. It's yeah, it's this crazy like throne with all of these wires going down to like control where the car is going. It looks just like Mr. Bean driving. <laughs> It uh, it looks like a go-kart built on top of a Subaru Impreza. Exactly that. And, you know, it's just, it's fascinating that with car stuff, that we haven't gone into the realm of, like, CGI-ing cars. That's the one, like, last bastion of practical effects. So, absolutely, we do CGI cars in most movies. You're lying. So, it's it's a lot of green screen, it's a lot of CG, but things that are kind of car-based try to keep it as realistic as possible and put people in cars that are moving, if possible. Are you telling me that in Fate of the Furious, 
when the bomb goes off and those cars are pouring from the garage like so many tears and rain, are you telling me that that's they didn't actually drop cars like really expensive cars and like just let them fall and crash and explode? No, that's real. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I said, car movies they do it right. Non-car movies, it's all CG. So you're like saying, and, and so I, I think I finally understand. So when we bought a zoo, all of the cars, they're CGI. Yes, but all the animals are real because that's a zoo film. So then, and, and Fast and the Furious, all of the cars are real, but all of the animals are CGI. Yes, all of the animals, including the people, are CGI. Well, yeah, because nobody could look like Vin Diesel. That's insane. No. That guy's like, kind of, he's jacked, right? I mean, that's like if you watched any other movie and you thought, man, that giraffe's real, idiot. Yeah, no, if it's not a zoo movie... All of the animals are fake. Like, Nine at the Museum's a little tricky. Not a zoo, though. So all of the animals actually stuffed. Yeah, all of them are stuffed because... Here's the thing. It's a museum film. So the only things that are real are museum things, such as stuffed animals. Yeah, there are no real animals in museums. That's what we call zoos. And which is why the zoo feature was created. People get sick of these museum movies with their stuffed animals, so they created the zoo genre... Which, I think it's really fallen off. Well, I don't know. Let, let's take let's examine some of the the heavy hitters of the zoo genre. Of course, there's We, got, we Bought a Zoo at the top. Uh-huh. Uh, then you got Madagascar. Madagascar, absolutely a zoo movie. All of the animals are real in that movie, uh-huh. including Ben Stiller. Uh-huh. Uh, Madagascar 2. <laughs> Madagascar 2, another zoo movie. You know, surprisingly, what a zoo movie is that not a lot of people realize? Jumanji. Jumanji is Because in Jumanji, the city is the zoo. Oh, because when things are kind of crazy, you call it like a zoo. Yeah, and the that, city is the zoo. In that so. movie, mm-hmm. the city is crazy because of all the animals. Wow, I did not know. Now, what about Jumanji 2, Wrath of Khan? Uh, not a zoo movie. <laughs> because it's a video game movie? Yes. So that means all the video games are all real. All the video games are real. Man. It's pretty simple if you put it all together. Yeah, all you have to do is identify the genre of the movie. Which, I mean, we're all adults. We can do that pretty easily. Now, I do have a question for you because, you know, the Oscars is coming up. And in the technical awards, there's a lot of effects and stuff like that. And so Star Wars is a is a space movie. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it's all, all of the space is real? All the space is real. People and animals are fake. Oh, what about and the, also the cars? Oh, the cars are fake for yeah, sure. The cars are for sure. But fake. what about the spaceships? Are those technically cars? They don't have wheels. Uh, so those are space cars. Space cars. So they are obviously CG. They're all, oh, okay. But all the space, all the blackness that surrounds the spaceships, completely real. Now that's that's pretty. So so they shot on location, but it was like tennis balls, and then later they turned the tennis balls into the space cars. Yeah, no, it was really tough to shoot. I imagine because you have to have like. Hundreds of tennis balls having dialogue with each other inside of a larger tennis ball. So it's it was a nightmare, I imagine. Alright, I have a random Star Wars question, and I think I know the answer. Yeah. And it's in the vein of, is wood canon in the Star... Are wheels canon in the Star Wars universe? Hold on. Most, most things hover. Yeah. Almost everything hovers. The only the only wheel I can remember right now, and it's it's from the Last Jedi, and I don't know if it's a wheel or not. But you know, remember the fish nuns? Yeah, the fish. Oh, they did have a cart with a wheel. They're pushing a wheel cart. Is canon. So, but but that's the latest one. 
Yeah, but wow. So that, that is the one. What, so if, what, what if, if that's the first? What if wheel that's in the, the first Wars wheel? Universe? Yeah, that is insane. That okay? There's got to be maybe like the the maybe like the door on Jabba's palace had a wheel. Oh, are gears considered wheels? Oh, that's a great question. Because technically, it is like a spoked wheel, mm-hmm. but it's not entirely round. Are you, you're looking this up? Uh, believe it or not. Uh-oh. This is very hard information to find. Even even harder than Bigger Luke. I think we need to I think we need to launch an inquisition. Maybe maybe this is a thing that we will look up for next week. Because you know, research live research, trust me, not as fun as you think. Yeah, no. Doing it on the podcast would take hours and days. Hours and days, in that order. Yeah, it would take hours first, obviously. Well, yeah, because one becomes the other. I don't know why I made that that clarification. That That is logically how that would happen. All right, so... So, remember... <laughs> insider tip, identify the genre of the movie, and then you will know what is CG and what is real. Yeah, because people all the time, they say, I don't know what's real. But then, if they... If you just open your damn eyes... And you realize what genre the movie is, the answer is right in front of you. Of course. And so the takeaway from this first segment is open your damn eyes. And that this is the new format of the podcast. I will, I will come up with a message from the first segment and that will lead us into the next one. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I have a little bit of content, uh, li- if that's all right. That's fine. You, you, but when you say a little bit, you mean... Something that's small, but it's going to take over the entire episode? Yes. All right, let's get into it. Uh, So what I would like to talk about for a time is a a subject that's pretty light, pretty airy. I I don't think there's there's too much to talk about it, but it's religion. Oh, okay. You know, the, 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 the parlor conversation of religion. Yeah, the aperitif of uh, possible topics of conversation. So Henry, I don't know uh, what you know about me. I know that you are a pretty decided atheist. That is true. Yeah. Uh, also, there's two things you don't know about the Earth. One is me and the second is Godzilla. Ah! Anyway, so the the thing about me, if I was to tell you that over this last weekend that I attended what some people call church, would you be surprised My hesitation makes me say yes. Okay, uh, that that's totally fair. I'm not a churchly man, uh, and I have not been for g- greater than a decade. But I, over the weekend, went to a very particular kind of church uh, as an item of interest because I like to understand other people's viewpoints. And I don't know if I talked about this at any point on the podcast, but when I was a teenager, I basically shopped around religions, went to most... We actually did talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I went to most houses of faith and just kind of tried to understand them a little bit. This was a first for me, in that I went to a church that was part of the Unitarian Universalist movement. Okay. Didn't we have a friend who was into that? I think that we did. Yeah, we did. All right. Uh, So this is the first time I had ever attended a service like this. And it was really surprising and eye-opening and uh, I I think worth talking about. What is 
the universal, I forget the name of it because I'm a horrible person, movement. Unitarian. Unitarian Universal. Yeah, Unitarian Universalist is a marriage of the Unitarian Church and the Universalist Church, which were churches that, to my limited understanding, had relatively similar worldviews. And the idea is that it is a church with no um, theological affiliation, no set belief structure other than continued spiritual growth. Okay. The idea ostensibly is that it's a church where everyone can get together no matter what their faith is, and they can all find some common ground to help them grow as spiritual people. Interesting. So it doesn't really matter what your personal spiritual background is. The point is, find common ground in this group and use that common ground to further other people and your own sort of spiritual beliefs or what have you. Yeah, it's a it's a place for, for growth, not necessarily for worship. And that's, it's really comes to the fore when you see, I think they're called ministers in the Unitarian Universalist Church, but they wear... Um, you know when you graduate, what's the thing that's not a cord, but you wear it over your... A stole? A stole. So they have a stole with uh, almost all of the major iconography of all the major religions on it. Like the Coexist yeah, bumper like, sticker. Like a Coexist stole, essentially. Uh, and the Unitarian Universalist Church is very Coexist. Very Coexist? It is very Coexist bumper sticker. Interesting. But uh, the the time that I spent there... It was very quiet, very understated, but I think, and this is something that might be earth-shattering, I think their their view, at least the 5,000-foot view that I have, uh, their worldview, kind of bulletproof, in that I can't find anything that is easily assailed in the way that they approach the concept of faith. Well, let me just lace, you know, lay it on me, and I'll pick it apart with my super unbulletproof logic. Okay, so I'll, I'll lay out basically everything that was covered in the sermon that I went to. Uh, it was the belief that, or I, I guess the, the big idea is what they call it. It's not a belief and it's not a scripture lesson. But the big idea is that if you treat everyone as if they're special, if they could be the Messiah, or if they have the same level of import as a major religious figure, then everyone's going to be more respectful to each other. The, the idea is if you believe that the, the end point of your ideology, whether you're like a humanist or an atheist or a Christian, uh, if you believe that the end point of your ideology exists in the world and it could be you or it could be anyone else, then you're going to treat people with the utmost respect because you're living within a, a world that's like serving your belief structure. So basically pretend anyone you talk to could be potentially Jesus. Essentially, yeah. It's anyone you talk to could be the Messiah, but the, the takeaway wasn't you should pretend everyone's Jesus. The well, takeaway is there's no reason not to act like that. Yeah. So, so it's treat others the way you want to be treated, but with less focus on the you-want-to-be-treated part. Yeah, treat people like they deserve to be treated, which is like they are special. Yeah. And the the big idea for that is everyone's special, everyone has different things to offer, and everyone has different problems, and you should be respectful of those. Okay. So tear it apart. Tear apart the first thing. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll tear it apart. Um, yeah. Murderers? 
You're going to treat murderers like they're special? How do you think they became murderers in the first place, John? By not being treated special? No, I'm talking about... Let's think. Charles Manson. Pretty sure he thought he was special. Oh, that is true. Ted Bundy. Pretty sure... I don't know. Did he have a cult? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Uh, other cult other leaders. Other cult people, sure. All right. So the charismatic people. Yeah. That That's who I would bring up. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the people they murdered, were they treating them like they were special? No. See? But we shouldn't treat them special because they were murderers. Yeah. Okay. But... <laughs> So we, we can't treat people who are murderers as if they are special. They're special because they're very especially good at murdering. That's much better than I. Well, that that that's true for the most part, but we don't we shouldn't reward that kind of behavior if we want I mean that that's sort of the, the basic tenet of society is we agree to follow these rules, we don't get murdered. That that's like the the first rule of society fight club. Yeah, the first rule is like don't murder and you won't get murdered. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. I, I think that requires you knowing this person is a murderer. And I think that even murderers deserve to be treated with respect because they're still people. No. <laughs> Once you murder, you stop being a person. Didn't you see Harry Potter? You're right. You become Voldemort. You become Voldemort. All right. No, I, I mean, if I like what you said about... It, de- it depends on you knowing the person is a murderer. Mm. I-, I think what the what the big idea is getting at is you don't, like, on a typical basis, you don't know everyone. Yeah. So you might as well treat them special but as a default because that's what they deserve to be treated as because they're a person. Exactly. And-, and when they reveal themselves to be horrible murderers, it's because probably, you know... Not to get into, like, causality or anything like that, but it's probably because they weren't treated special at some point in their life. And the theory is if they were treated special, they might not be a murderer. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the big idea is, like, treat people with respect regardless. Well, I, I don't know. If someone stabs me, I might be a little bit disrespectful to them, just saying. For sure, in, in the moment, because, I mean, you, you treat people with respect... Up to a point where it allows society to function. Not, not in the moment. For the rest of my life, because he stabbed me. Yeah, but I mean, maybe you could live the fullest version of your life by getting over the fact that you were stabbed, understanding what caused this person to stab you. Maybe don't welcome them into your life again, because who knows if they're going to stab you or not. Are you trying to victim blame me for getting hypothetically stabbed? No, I'm just saying. What caused them to stab me? I'm just saying, maybe it's a systemic problem. Are you trying to say that something I did... That, that that made me deserve to get stabbed? No, not at all. Maybe we're saying that uh, either it's a problem with society or clearly they had some kind of mental health issue. Oh. Normal people don't stab. All right, back to the mental health problem and not the, the knife control problem. <laughs> yes, you're... Okay, so the two takeaways. Uh, revised big idea. Treat everyone with respect. Outlaw all knives. <laughs> All knives. No matter the knife. No more sliced bread. No more sliced bread. The second part of the big idea uh, was that uh, in in addition to treating people with respect, you should aim for inclusivity. And there's no reason to uh, exclude people based on like their gender identity or their sexuality or, or anything like that. So if you if you have an organization geared towards good, there's no reason to exclude people. Now, if those people were murderers, God damn it, that's my one point. <laughs> Now those people were murderers, let's say. Uh, yeah. They can worship from inside of a jail. 
Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying because don't discriminate like based on an outward sort of appearance or personal belief or identification sort of thing. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily include, you know, no one really wears the fact that they're a murderer on their sleeves unless... Well, there was a political faction that, weared the f- that wore the fact that they were murderers literally on their sleeves. Well, no, that stood for something. Yeah. Stood for being a murderer. That's how we interpret it, but I, in their ideology, it was like a twisted Buddhist symbol. Yeah. No, National Socialism did have ideas. It just ended up being murderous. Yes, it did. Uh, do we include them <laughs> in our organization? I mean, if you understand the systemic problems as to how that happened, if your organization is something that's actively working towards good, uh, there's no reason not to be inclusive towards people. However, don't let those people take over your organization for their own agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Within reason. I get inclusivity. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Just outlaw the knives. Just outlaw the knives. I didn't want to get stabbed. It would all be solved. I believe that a huge precipitating factor in the rise of Nazism in Germany was called the Night of Long Knives. So maybe get rid of the knives. Was that... Is that true? Yeah, the Night of Long Knives okay. was when the secret police killed a bunch of political dissidents, I believe. All right. I, I thought you were I thought you were doing like a weird crystal knocked. No. Uh, you know, this is a different thing. This is a different thing. All right, so there is All right. So yeah, if they, if they had just outlawed the knives. <laughs> yeah, that's the Night of Long what? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. What what were you going to do? Tickle you the politicians yeah. to, to death? The Nazism would have grown to power. Outlaw knives. Outlaw knives. And uh, the uh, the third thing that was covered that I think is... And I, I really took something away from this. And maybe we can get a little bit more into how that's important. But the the third idea that was shared is... If you are interested in helping people, if you think that there's like a a marginalized organization, then one thing that you always want to think of is how much privilege you have in relation to them. And then you should channel that into active advocacy. Because part of knowing you're privileged is knowing that it's something you can't stop. You can't apologize for your privilege. Uh, It's something that's always going to happen to you. So uh, a way to make sure that you're trying to help the people who need help the most is not to stand idly by and comment on a Facebook status and be like, hey, I think you're being unduly harsh to this marginalized, oppressed minority. It's to actively be an advocate for them to help whenever possible and to use your privilege for good. Uh, One thing they were saying is there was an organization that was trying to help victims of Hurricane Harvey, and they had reached out to over a 100 religious and community organizations to be a drop-off point for supplies for the community. And this church was the only one that said yes, because being a drop-off point for supplies means you'll be extremely busy. You'll have like 500 to 1,000 people in and out of your doors that you don't know. And they, they try to be active advocates and be like, I understand that it's hugely inconvenient, but it's, it's a great cause. It's, it's a thing that might actually help people. And even if it's to the detriment of our, our spirit over time for the amount of effort we put in, it's worth doing because we are a privileged organization. Okay. And I, I think that's, that's kind of the third part. And I, I never found anything worth disagreeing about. But if it's 500 murderers... No, 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 no. I okay. mean, advocate for the marginalized, the oppressed. What better group to target to advocate than murderers? 
Okay. Society has largely discredited them and thrown them out, thrown them in jails for the rest of their lives. Let's advocate for murderers with our privilege. They're really the most oppressed. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's deliberate. Yeah, it's, no, it's, absolutely. It, can oppression happen in a system? No, no, no. Here's a, here's a really bad sentence okay. that should never be applied to anything outside of the confines of us talking about murderers. Can it be oppression if you deserve it? <laughs> I think I think that goes back to the you know the the basic society rules. You follow this, you don't get killed. Basically, or you, you you're protected from death to a certain extent, or that's how it should be. If you violate the, those rules, you're you're thrown out from the society. Yeah, one of the rules is don't kill me, I won't kill you. Mm-hmm. As soon as you violate that, according to how society works, you're ousted. And so you lose all of your, your your societal rights. Yeah. And so then it becomes a deliberate, quite very deliberate oppression. That, that's, that's crazy to think about. You, you technically do deserve it because you violated societal law. And, and like just killing's bad no matter yeah. if there's a society or not. It doesn't matter who you are or for the reason. Killing is probably not the best thing you should do. Probably not. And, and there are exceptions, of course, because of, like, mercy killings, and that's debatable. Or, yeah. But... It's like, even if someone is, like, stabbing you, killing them is not always your best option. If I'm being stabbed, I might kill a guy. But, I mean, especially, like, if they've got a knife. Here's the thing, Henry. I took a self-defense class one time. I've never been more scared of a knife in my entire life. Knives are, are they will, they, phew, we gotta get the NRA to outlaw knives. The way that, it, the way that it was described to me is, if you're trying to fight someone with a knife and you don't have a knife, imagine you are wearing a perfectly clean white tuxedo and there's a three-year-old with an open sharpie and you're trying to wrestle it away from him without getting any of it on your clothes. Yeah, no. Like, knives are the worst. So, Man, outlaw knives. Well, th- think about the you know in every sort of Japanese movie or thing that has a sword in it, and the training montage happens or right before it, the instructor always says, "Think of the sword as an extension of your arm." Mm-hmm. Now, think of a knife as an extension of your hand, or think of your opponent having a knife as them having a long hand that will. Literally fuck you up. <laughs> a long stabbing hand. A long stabbing hand, and you just have two normal flesh hands. Which are very susceptible to stabs. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be a fun time. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone who worked in a mortuary, and he said, you would be very surprised how many people, like, die of defensive wounds. Horrible. Yeah. I, even if you put your hand up to block the knife with enough force... That knife's going through your hand. Yeah, you're still having a meeting of hand to knife, and you are on the short end of that hand knife wagon. But to get back on track to your point, which was the whole point of this conversation and discussion before I I tried to derail it with murderers and knives. Yes, I I, I do agree with that logic that I I like the acknowledgement that you can't stop having your privilege. And it, it's not really your fault that you have privilege. It's endemic of a larger system that is bigger than each individual within that system. And so what you do is you try to use your privilege to help others who are less privileged. Yeah, privilege is something you can never apologize for. It's something that you can use. And, and it's not... 
it's a weird thing because those with privilege, I've felt this, you know, I feel bad sometimes because I've had opportunities that others wouldn't. But then there's other times where I feel like, well, this is more of an equal playing field. And now I feel bad because I got passed over. Yeah. There's no, there's no winning with privilege. Yeah, there's, privilege is something that if you're aware of it makes no one feel good. Yeah. Uh, the, the pretty, the common thing to say is like, privilege is, like running a race with two legs when everyone else is missing a foot and the touchstone with that is like if you've got two legs uh go back and help people cross the finish line yeah use your privilege to help people who have less privilege and and hopefully improve their station in life so do i finish the race first and then go back i don't think that's in the spirit of it well then that's weird yeah but because society says I need to focus on my success first. Yeah, but that's society. Maybe there's, that's society's problem. See, there's no there's no reward for helping others. You know who really thinks about their success first? Murderers. Oh God. Have I have I been a secret murderer this whole time? I, I hate to break it to you, Henry, but on the podcast I'm just letting you know. That if you use your privilege to its fullest extent, you become a murderer. <laughs> well, then everyone would think privilege is bad, but clearly the 1% don't care. Yeah, you're right. I mean, clearly they're not using their privilege to lift anyone up other than their own. Well, they are lifting, they're using it to lift people up over their heads and then throw them off of a bridge because they are murderers. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into, like, how America has ruled. There's a term for it. That's a long conversation. Ruled by money, oligarchy. Yeah, well, that's I didn't ruled by that. the few. Yeah, to ruled, be fair. Well, I mean, it's a it's a capitalistic. Yeah, oligarchy. it's a it's a capitalistic oligarchy. That's a long conversation. That's a long conversation. Here's Let's my takeaway. Not get into it. Here's my takeaway. From I'm a the, murderer. You're a murderer. Here's here's my takeaway. I think that something like the Unitarian Universalist Church is really important. I think we get kind of out in the weeds, but I experience something at that that I don't experience often at all, which is the the pure edification of attending a church service, which is a room full of people who are feeling certain philosophical ideas on the same level you are. And I went to a, a few church services, but they would always get in places that I was uncomfortable with where they were like, and women shouldn't be priests or and gay people are bad. And I would tune out. But with this, even though most of what was said in that sermon can kind of be seen as a contrived platitude, you know, be inclusive, be helpful, be an advocate. Uh, it was very nice to be in a room full of people who felt like they were kind of vibing on the same idea as I was. And I think that... Even if you don't have a faith, uh, going to something like that at least once can be kind of freeing. Yeah. And they had a giant labyrinth. What? Labyrinth? You went to a maze? There was a labyrinth? What? There was a labyrinth? They have a... Okay. uh, They have a Unitarian Universalist labyrinth? There is a distinction between maze and labyrinth. The labyrinths head toward the center. Yeah. Right? So you you went to a labyrinth. I went to the labyrinth. Was there a Minotaur's? I can't tell you. You have to experience the labyrinth for yourself. Oh, okay. Is it like a secrets? Uh, what happens in the labyrinth, as they say, is a secret. 
Is it one of those labyrinths that actually have walls, or is it one of those walking paths that you're supposed to, like, spiritually meditate as you walk? I don't know, Henry. You have to experience the labyrinth. Because I went to a cathedral in Europe once, and I got excited because I was like, oh, they have a maze. And I pictured, because it's Europe, I pictured, like, a classical Greek, you know, minotaur monster maze. It was more of a spiritual path that you, you meditate while you walk toward the center. Okay. You'd be kind of disappointed by this labyrinth. So it's a meditative sort of path. I don't know. I, it is. All right. So I've already determined it, and I'm a genius, and also apparently a murderer who's never killed anybody. So the the takeaway from this segment, open your damn eyes to other fates and ban all knives. Ban all... Seriously. Open your eyes and ban all the knives. I think it rhymes for a reason. It's true because it rhymes. I watched the Lego movie recently. Did you like it? I really liked it. Well, let's not get into that okay. right now. So yeah, open your eyes, ban all knives, and I'm Clive. Great. Uh, got any content for us? Because I don't know how to segue out of that one. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know how to, you know, segue into this, so I guess I'll just do the normal thing that I normally do. Oh, I can actually set you up with a segue. No, I'll do the normal thing I normally do. Okay. We live in crazy times, John. Oh, man, do we ever. Labyrinths? Labyrinths are in churches now. The State of the Union addresses tonight. Oh, uh, the State of the Union? I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. Tickets to the State of the Union say State of the Union? Oh, excuse me. I'll, I'll addend my, my lead-in. The State of the Union... <laughs> It's tonight. Uh, and the, for the first time ever, the, <laughs> the government has said they're just straight not doing something that passed in hot Congress. Oh. Not, they're just straight not doing it. What is it? Uh, oh, I, I wasn't going to get into this. but Oh, I didn't know about this. You didn't know about you this. Can just, you can elevator pitch it and we can move on. Uh, all right. So Congress passed what they call an unvetoable uh bill because it had a supermajority on it. Yeah. To place sanctions on Russia due to the allegations of them meddling in our election. And the the White House administration said no. Great, of course. They Fantastic. Just, they just said no. Good. Great. This is the first time that a, a bill has passed and, and become a law with a supermajority, meaning you can't veto it. And the White House majority, uh, the White House administration was like, sorry, we're not doing that. That's 99 point something percent passed. And yet. Near unanimous. And yet. Anyway. And all, and all of this craziness, John, it could be easy to get swept away and kind of lose who you are. But thankfully, through the miraculous invention of Facebook, we can kind of find ourselves again through... Th- their their strategic targeted advertising. Oh, it, it really took a turn there. Well, I, I'm all, you know, I, I'm against advertising of all forms. But if you can get something useful out of what companies are already doing, you might as well get what you can. Yeah, if you can benefit from the company's privilege. And so I, I, I was made aware of an article that came out earlier this month uh, from Thrillist. I don't know anything about that periodical. It's a lifestyle magazine. They publish a really good list of restaurants in Austin. All right. So there you go. Uh, They published an article online that says Facebook has you labeled as liberal or conservative. Here's how to see it. And what you do is by going into your, your settings on Facebook, 
to a page that basically says add preferences and going into a, a section called your information and then to your categories, you can see how Facebook has categorized you for their targeted ad program. Great. And so we're, we, John and I, are going to use this to rediscover ourselves in these crazy times and let you just know, I'll let you know just who we are. That that sounds like a plan to me. Let me let me know who I am, big data. Yep, this is, because, you know, we're not getting anything out of them taking our personal data, but now we can rest assured there's no need to soul search. There's no need for deep introspection. All you have to do is just read what Facebook identifies you as, and you know exactly who you are. I, I think we should get into it. All right, I'm let's... excited. I'm excited to find out who I am. Friends and family first. Friends and family first? It's Facebook's whole initiative that they want to show you less news. Oh, okay. I thought they were trying to, you know, I don't know, submit a bid for Mark Zuckerberg as president. Look at the look, look, look at what he's been doing lately. Look at his suits. Look at what he's been doing lately. Don't tell me he's not trying to run. Look at his suits. All right. So let, let's get into this identifying ourselves through Facebook ad categories. So do I have permission to skip the boring ones? Yeah, of course. Because some of them are like Facebook Access Mobile. But if you want to get started, I understand. I, I mean, yeah, you skip one. My, one says birthday in August, which is true. But, I mean, I knew that. I knew that walking in. I want to know the things that I don't know about myself. Like, for instance, I am black. <laughs> okay. Uh, so is that your multicultural affinity multicultural affinity african-american u.s uh my multicultural affinity is african-american u.s so we're both black all right so that's maybe the most important thing that's that's probably i mean it shouldn't be the most important thing but in this society it is well i, I it just comes as a shock to me having identified as as not african-american this entire time and talking about all the privilege we have i i know it turns out Neither of us have privilege. Or, or we have less privilege than others, I guess. Yeah. We have fewer privileges than, than certain other demographics. But man, I'm surprised. I, I'm... Color me... Well, Maybe use a different... That's a different... I need a different idiom. Yep. Uh, tickle me pink. All right. That's it, way better. Is it? Yeah. That's much better than what you said originally. Look. Look. I, I'm, not, I'm not used to... I'm not used to all of this. I'm just finding out now. Hey, it's going to take a while for you to get used to your new identity. All right. Well, let, let's see what else we got here. Uh, so I have uh, the, I guess it has friend preferences because it says close friends of women 25 to 30. Interesting. I have no close friends. No close friends? No. Oh, wait, there's a see more option. Maybe I do have close friends. No, no close friends at all. Oh, that's very sad. I I do not have close friends. Uh, I am interested in frequent travelers. I I am also a frequent traveler. Also in my interest are farming, (laughs) fishing, and forestry. Oh, well, I'm friends of football and U.S. soccer. What? (laughs) Friends of football slash U.S. soccer. Wow. So, so, So as we... As we sort of go through these categories, it's like paint a picture of the individual that they're they're putting forth. Um, for instance, I'm interested in installation and repair services. I'm inter- I'm interested in housemate based households. Oh, me too. Oh, nice. So does that mean like 
renting with people? I I think that means communal living. Communal living. That's weird. I've lived alone for the past... It's gotta be five years now. Uh, I'm a fan of friends who have recently moved. <laughs> what? Oh. Um, so, one of the more interesting things in mine is that... <laughs> I, I use a mobile device one to three months, and the mouse over text says people who are likely to have used a mobile device for one to three months. <laughs> and that's it. After three months, it's gone. Uh, I've got used a mobile device for 24 plus months. Interesting. Uh, so here's something that you might not know about me. Uh, in addition to being an engaged shopper, I also returned home from travels two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? Oh, according to this. Where'd you go? I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's kind of scary. Um, I'm a console gamer. Oh, well, that's good. It, it doesn't have any of my gaming preferences. Uh, it does have my U.S. political affiliation, though. Oh, that, me too. Uh, are you ready to hear mine? Yeah. Let's say both of ours at the same time on three. All right. One, two, three. Moderate. Real? Oh. Oh. For some reason, I'm moderate. Yeah, and for some reason, I'm liberal, despite never talking about politics on Facebook. I think I know why I'm moderate. Okay. So, uh, sometimes, for research into things that I'm writing or reading, I will uh, just do a bunch of like Google and Facebook searches for things. And at some point, I don't know how my ad preferences ended up this way, but I watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos for this YouTube channel called Forgotten Weapons. Forgotten Weapons? Is that it, like... It's actually a really cool YouTube channel where he like, talks about uh, like guns and weapons from the past that people don't remember because they were like architecturally or you know engineering speaking interesting but forgotten. Okay. You know, he's like, hey, this is a gun where you just load all the bullets in with a big old funnel. Like, it's... Oh, like one of those drums. Yeah, and he, he talks about things in their history, and it's more of a history thing than a gun thing. But too bad, it's got guns in it, and that means you lean right. So I watched all those videos, and then I started going back to Facebook, and started recommending that I buy, like, thin blue line bumper stickers, and I shit you not, decorative shelves where I could hide handguns. Interesting. Whereas, thankfully, I've, I've returned to my ways and it just sends me ads for avocado toast and binge drinking. <laughs> the binge drinking also paints you as a moderate. It's very strange that it says I'm moderate. Yeah. I like Gmail users. Gmail users and, and Facebook page admins. Yep, that's I also have that. I got life, physical, and social sciences, which doesn't track at all. I did not get that. Mine's pretty boring. Yeah, I just, I, I like the idea of sort of thinking about who Facebook thinks I am. So according to Facebook, I am a black farming, fishing, and foresting, forestry-ing aficionado who's a console gamer who only uses their phone for one to three months, but is a technology early adapter, a Gmail user... And I use Wi-Fi for my Facebook access. Uh, so Facebook believes that I am a black engaged shopper who loves uh, soccer and is politically moderate, travels a lot, and loves women aged 25 to 30. <laughs> oh, that's weird. 
Oh, that loves women to <laughs> age 25 to 30 gets creepier, creepier as you get older. It really does. Oh. I, why does Facebook think we're black? I don't know. I don't know. People who live in the United States whose activity on Facebook aligns with African-American multicultural affinity. That sounds racist. It, it does. What makes... What about my activity makes them know I'm black? Yeah. I mean, I, think I'm black. What, what are they trying to say? Like, your activity... This, this is what it's saying. Your activity seems African-American. Yeah, that... Uh, hold on. I'm going to see example ads for what they're... Uh, oh, no. Okay. If we're going to talk about racist shit... The, their sample... You can see sample ads for the categories? Okay, so... Maybe these these aren't so bad, but let me just... Is this because I have ad block on? I can't see this? So you can hit z- see example ads. So here's uh, here's some ads they think the African-American uh, community might be interested in. Uh, an ad for uh, Ciroc French Vanilla Hot Chocolate Liqueur. Uh, an ad for the television show Ball and the Family, which is about a reality show about basketball players. Okay. Let's see, there's going to be uh, an ad for eczema treatment. What? And then uh, an affordable plan giving you access to high-quality, low-cost healthcare. And then Amazon surveys. The first ad being a Ciroc ad feels racist. I don't know what Ciroc is. Is it, I mean, you said liqueur, so I'm guessing a, a liqueur company. Uh, Ciroc is... I mean, it's it's a it's a beverage that is enjoyed in the African American community as well as all other communities. Uh, yeah, I mean, but in in my experience, there have been uh, racial connotations to the drinking of Ciroc. That's weird. This this whole thing, like, okay, I get demographics, I get analytics, and I get using your analytics to market to certain demographics. But when you break stuff down like this. It's like the same as when you you break down your casting call to a very specific like type of person. It just feels weird. Yeah, it feels extremely weird. And if I, I'm not comfortable with the idea of Facebook saying who I am, and I've never ever ever connected with Facebook ads or any ads. No ads that have been pushed towards me ever make me interested really at all so something's not working yeah and and maybe the fact that the algorithm or whatever is so far off from who we are as people i mean some things they got right sure but maybe the part of the reason why it's so far off is because we don't engage with these ads we, we don't go out of our way to make sure our advertising content is tailored to us because I think both of us sort of, like, don't like that sort of practice. I wonder if we selectively engaged with these ads, if we could change our preferences. Well, I think you could... There's a little X by some of the categories, at least on the uh, laptop version of that page. I think you can, like, X it out if, if you don't like it. But then you're doing something... You're directly affecting their algorithm. You're, you're putting in user data at that point, and then you're just... Playing along with the system. Because, I mean, all we want to do is confound the algorithm. Because, I mean, if, if you don't care about having targeted advertising, which, to be clear, you shouldn't, uh, then if you're saying, hey, no, I don't like this, like, sometimes videos and, and shit will be pushed to me on Facebook that I can't stand, and I, I see them often enough where I'm like, I'm not interested in this, or don't show me this. I'm saying, show me more of something else. Yeah. I... 
I just use ad blocker nine times out of ten. I just wish there was an option to not be like, don't show me ads like this. Just option, don't show me ads. Yeah. I'm never going to be interested because the second I see that it's an ad, fuck off. Like, I don't care. Targeted advertising is the worst. And that's why you got to use, I, I know I said ad blocker, but you got to use uh, uBlock. uBlock? It's an extension for Google Chrome. I don't know what browser you use. Google Chrome. Google Chrome. Google Chrome. Google Chrome. And uh, it basically does what Adblocker would do, only it's Adblocker for some reason they were shifty or sneaky, 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 trying to use people's GPUs to mine Bitcoin or something. Because fucking of course they were. Because who doesn't? I mean, everybody, everybody, and they're, people are using fridges to do it, believe it or not. But... <laughs> And then Silicon Valley lifted that as a plot point. But, um, so yeah, you know, use use block, <laughs> use you block, which I think it's supposed to be like micro block, like a little Oh, like new. a micro torrent? Yeah, like micro okay. torrent. Um, use that. Don't let people use algorithms to determine what you see. You see what you want to see. Do what you want to do. But also disable you block on websites that you want to pay money to. No. Don't give money to YouTube. YouTube's the devil. No, not YouTube. But disable it on, like, if you had, like, small websites where people have ads enabled, maybe suck up a few ads to give a few cents to a person who makes a thing you like. All right, I guess that's fine, but... Don't turn off ad blockers to read articles, though. Holding information hostage is poisonous. I just I just want to clarify, John, we don't run ads on our, on our website. Yeah, good. Oh, wait, do we? I use ad blocker. I have no idea. <gasps> They're all ads for Ciroc. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I got to I gotta check that. I got to see if Blueberry, who is our host for our podcast, I got to see if Blueberry is running ads on our site without her permission. I don't think they would do that, though. You should probably check. I mean, we already paid them X amount of dollars a month. Oh, man, Henry. So many dollars. The, the stress... The stress of potentially serving our devoted listeners' ads has... It, it's just put me in a state. I'm so thirsty. If only I had a tall, cold glass of Ciroc Red Velvet or whatever the fuck. Oh, boy. kling a ling a ling Slurp. Go, Delicious. Go, go. Whatever. <laughs> that does bring me to a weird connecting topic. Because we talk about things like Google and Facebook that tailor their ads to their users using the data that people enter into their sites. But we don't we never think about or we never actually talk about one of the greatest or one of the largest like companies that does that and profits off of it and people applaud them. Who is that? Netflix. Yes. Cuz a lot of people so on the surface Netflix is like a library of media of content of TV shows and movies that you can watch and you think you're paying to watch those movies and Netflix offers those movies so you pay. Yes. That's on the surface. Behind that mechanics, their library is a giant survey that you're filling out every time you watch something. Yeah, Netflix is one of the greatest collectors of taste data on Earth. And their analytics drives their entire decision-making process when it comes to what to fund, who to go with, who to back. And, and so you see weird, seemingly weird things come out. Like, so the movie Bright starring Will, Will Smith came out. 
and critics tore it apart. They no no critic liked that movie for good reason because I saw it. And it's awful. It is the most watched thing Netflix has ever produced. Great, and because it is the most watched thing Netflix has ever produced, it's getting a sequel. There's. I was having a conversation about this very recently. Yeah? So let's talk about Netflix. Okay. Netflix has an opportunity to be like one of the greatest stores of visual content on Earth. Uh, It is hilariously insidious. Yeah. Because Netflix's plan uh, within the next four or five years is to have 50% original content. Yeah. Now, I firmly and honestly... Do not believe that that idea is to increase the amount of original content while increasing the amount of third-party content. It is to increase the amount of original content while shrinking the amount of original third-party content. And eventually, we're just going to end up with cable channels. Yeah, I I mean, at this point, Netflix doesn't really have a need for third-party content. They got the data they needed. And this is such an elucidating thing that I've been going through is my Netflix did a weird hiccup where it didn't draft from my bank account automatically. Oh. They fixed it, so I'm back on Netflix. But it didn't draft from my bank account automatically. And believe me, I had more than enough in there, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what was uh, that? But anyway, it uh, it did not draft from my bank account. So I'm like, oops, something went wrong. I'm like, fuck it, I'll make a temporary one because I want to watch Devilman Crybaby. Yeah. So made a temporary one. I have never seen... More content on Netflix that I had no idea they had. What do you mean? Because it refreshed all the algorithms. Oh, so you were starting from scratch. It has no idea what I like, so everything is new. There are series and movies on there that I had no idea were streaming anywhere. There's content that I had no idea about. Because Netflix is only showing you basically what they thought you would want to see. Yeah, they're just showing me the things that I want to engage in based on their algorithm. But when you break that open, there's so much on Netflix you have no idea about at all. Yeah. And and it's eventually going to reach a point where everything is so curated for a user experience, they can just start removing those things in the background. Like the things that aren't popular enough. Netflix has a... A great track record for just canceling shows if they don't perform. Yeah. There's no ceremony, no sentiment. It's like, you didn't do well, you're gone. And I I can say, with some amount of authority, based on how Netflix has operated in the past, if these shows they've canceled suddenly have cult resurgences, they'll bring them back. They'll get everyone who was invested, invested again. And then cancel it when it starts to underperform again. Like, I, I don't think that Netflix gives two shits about creative integrity. And if if we're going to accept a future where it's going to be all Netflix original content and they're just going to eschew all other uh, forms of media on Netflix, then we're just paying for an expensive cable channel that knows everything about us. I, I mean, it's exactly that. I, I will tiny disagree with you about not caring about the creative... What word did you use? Integrity, maybe? Integrity. Because I I feel like they have more respect for the creative process than than cable or Hollywood does. That that's fair because I I think that generally speaking, when they try to find new projects, they try to get people they know are good. Uh, they don't try to make something they know is profitable. They try to th- get something that they think people will dig because they know that people like this thing. Yeah, you know, because when True Detective season one came out, they're like. They recognize the only good thing about this is Kerry Fukunaga. So let's get him to make... Let's get Beasts of No Nation over here. Yes. Put it just on Netflix. Yep. Or for uh, 
for you know Devil May Cry baby. They're like this is a this is something from the seventies that is beloved and hasn't had a lot of adaptations lately. Let's get a super hot like director to work on it, make it done. So yeah. maybe maybe they do care. Maybe I was a little bit up in a lather about it. I, I think they care, but but and that doesn't excuse their practices. I I think they just found out that rather they figured out if you don't micromanage your creatives, you tend to get good work. Yeah. And Which is th- exactly true. And that's kind of their only saving grace, because everything else that we've talked about is absolutely true. They're, they're gaming the content-providing system to a degree that is nefarious, but on the surface, it just looks like, oh yeah, we provide all of this content. And I mean, I just worry for a future where the things that we love and enjoy become so marginalized on services like this that we just end up like... We just end up building a new shiny city on top of the one we already had, and the other one rots and, and turns to shit. And then we're like, no, come to Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. It's basically a cable package, and we've gotten rid of all of the old things. I, I mean, we're already heading down that path. Uh, in 2019... Amazon, uh, the, the Path. No. Amazon.com original series, The Path, starring Aaron Paul. That's Hulu. Hulu original series, The Path, starring Aaron Paul. But but Disney's pulling all of their content from Netflix in 2019 to start their own streaming service. CBS has CBS Prime or not, who knows, Access. Yeah. So that's all of the CBS shows. We're already getting to the point that there are so many streaming services that it's basically like different channels again. How can I become a streaming service cord cutter? Because um, I almost would like to. Well, see, what do I go to next? It, well, here's the thing: if you give this middle this middleman company a fee, they will give you access to all of the streaming networks together, and then they'll bundle. They're bundling all of these things together, and it's cheaper and, than getting them individually. So why not do that? And then it's great for a while, and then they'll step up the price, and then they'll step up the price, and then and then you'll have to cord cut them. Yeah. Because it's cyclical. Business is cyclical. We're we're falling into the same pitfalls, only this time we got stranger things to go with it. Yeah, we have have strange... Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That's horrible. You can so easily see that happening. I like the content that they produce, but their business practices are sketchy. Yeah, you know, uh... Sanford and Son's a great show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, things can make good content and still turn into shitty, awful corporations that don't care about you. But basically what Netflix did was instead of making shows to sell ads, they're making shows to sell shows. Yeah. The the more shows they make, the more likely you're going to stay on with their annual plan, which, by the way, has stepped up two times in the past one year. Yeah, Netflix heats it more and more expensive. Yeah. Until there's almost no reason to do it. Almost. Ugh. Other than Stranger Things Season 3. And I th- I feel like for all of our all of our listeners out there who are maybe like deep in binge-watching territory or, or really excited about new Netflix series, just open your eyes. Open and, your eyes to the possibility. And Outlaw Knives. Open your eyes. Outlaw Knives. TV's a lie. TV's a lie. I, I just... Maybe... I, I've never been in the decision-making position for a company, but maybe this is what it takes to remain profitable. It, it's, 
you have to know your audience in a way that is invasive and, and kind of like to an extent is an invasion of personal privacy. It would be great if that wasn't the case. It would be great. But I, I don't mean to excuse them, but maybe just to explain that, I mean, they're widely successful. They were one of the first successful streaming services that then everybody started copying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sure, Amazon has like two good shows. And sure, Hulu has like no good originals, right? None, none of them are good. Hold on. Think... Hold on. Think hard. Hold on. None of them are great. Yeah, none of them are even good, I don't think. Yeah. I watched The Path. It's not good. I mean, they've got one about a guy who can see ghosts, but it was very sophomoric in its, <laughs> its comedy. Was it the... Was it the... I don't know what it's the called. stoner ghost one? Stoner ghost one, yeah. Yeah. I watched, like, the first half of an episode, and then I quickly turned it <laughs> off, and I'm like... The premise, oh, so good, but the execution was lacking. I would love a future where we can just have a TV show called Stoner Ghost Comedy. <laughs> Once Netflix reaches ultra Netflix levels, and, and like the names of the shows are just like components of the algorithm. Because you notice that when you're on Netflix, it's like, these are things that are irreverent sitcoms with female leads. In ten years, you're just going to be watching season three of irreverent sitcom with female lead. Oh, man, I want to write that show. But I want to write it from a meta perspective to be like, well, yeah, I mean, so we're, we're leaning into it and winking at it. Yeah, do it. Oh, man. I don't know. I, it's, it's one of those things that I don't have a conclusion to. Just be aware of the things you do. And companies stop doing this. No company listens to us. No company listens to any podcast, but companies stop doing this. Jesus Christ, Henry. They're going to make Zoo Movie. <gasps> no! Not the genre-defying... <laughs> defining? The genre-defining... No, I mean, look, they're going to make irreverent sitcom with a female lead. Only the female lead will be real. Everything will be a genre movie. Oh, there no. will be no need to open your damn eyes. Once you do knives, the, will be rampant in the streets. Once they do the fifteen genres, what 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 will be left? More seasons. Four seasons of the fifteen genres. Yep. It's just going to be sequels and remakes of the same fifteen movies. That's. I mean, that's what oh. it's been for years. If you ask me, this is what Orson Welles was warning us about. This specifically, <laughs> it was. It was this. Oh, I just. I want to do some soma and just forget it. Oh man, soma. This is a song by The Strokes. The Strokes made a song, Soma. You haven't heard Soma by The Strokes? I've never heard Soma by The Strokes. It's, uh, it's based off that book. Isn't Soma the drug they do? It is. In Orson Welles' hit novel, Genre? Yes, in, uh, in the Orson Welles novel, Genre. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I was going to name the genre, Dystopian oh. Hellscape. <laughs> Where only the dystopian hellscape is real. Yeah. Everything else. Everything else is CGI. In the book. And that's zero credits. Uh, and that has been zero credits <laughs> for uh, for this week. Boy, I feel like... I feel like crying a little bit. I feel like we discovered some dark truths. Oh, because we're both black. Oh, because how dark and nefarious Netflix's uh, practices are. Oh, that's exactly it. I'm leaving this episode with three takeaways. <laughs> okay. Biggest takeaway, ban all knives. Ban all knives? I'm, I'm just viscerally... I mean, we can say, like, the rhyming thing. I'm actually afraid to get stabbed today. 
You should be. Every time I open my door, you make a stabbing motion at me. And that, and that well, it's a joke between us. But what if one time it's real? Yeah, it could be real. Or you could stab me. One day. One day. Oh, I'm, because I'm a murderer who hasn't murdered anyone yet. We have discovered you could, you have the murderer gene. The, oh, God. There's a gene? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a murderer gene. And uh, it, it is, it lays within you. And, uh, you know what? Let's just stop talking about this. There's two more things. Oh, so I'm viscerally afraid of being stabbed. That's one. I'm viscerally afraid of my TV. That's two. And, uh, I should probably go to church more often. All right. <laughs> what a weird, weird three messages. But, yeah, I'm know, afraid, I'm afraid I should go to church. That's generally how religion works. <laughs> that worked in the past. Yeah, the first time you're afraid, you're like, maybe I'll, I won't be afraid again. The second time you're afraid, get ye to a nunnery. Get ye to a nunnery. And you should get ye to our DMs on Twitter, uh, at ZCPC, WHJ on Twitter.com. That stands for Henry. That stands for Zoo ZC. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This roll. You got it. And you can send us an email at zerocrutzisapodcast at gmail.com. We've been getting a few of those lately from people who want our money. <laughs> and you <laughs> can find true. us on Facebook at facebook.com slash zero credits. And that's a lie. You can search for Zero Credits Podcast in the Facebook search bar. We're on there. Uh, maybe the Zero Credits Facebook has ad preferences. And then we stream video games sometimes on twitch.tv slash zero credits. We stream Mr. Shifty. We're going to stream it again. Probably finish it. Uh, the Mon Hunt is good. The Mon Hunt is strong. And don't forget to tell your friends, like, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. The only way that we get this podcast to anybody is if you tell people. Cut the cord. Tell people about zero credits. We're not going to sell you out. Probably. Probably. Probably not. Not until it's super profitable. Yeah, I don't want to make any promises, but you'll enjoy the ride. I hope. I hope you enjoy Stranger Things 3, which are an, an analog to that that we can do Stranger Things Supplemental Reading. Yeah. The third one. By the time the third supplemental reading for Zero for Stranger Things comes out, we will be monetized to heckin' back. Oh, that's a pretty strict deadline. I don't know if I can I can uphold that. Monetize to heckin' back. Okay, well. From everyone here at the Zero Credit Studio Apartments, we want to say, have a good week. Oh boy, it's all bad. Yeah, I've been thinking. I want to get the the Best Buy Gamer Club thing. It's thirty bucks. It turns out for two years, but you get twenty percent off all new games. That's pretty good. I got fifteen percent off because I logged into PlayStation Network, and they're like, "Hey, you want fifteen percent off your next purchase?" I'm like, "Hell yeah! I wanted to buy Monster Hunter anyway." Yeah. Uh, so I bought that, which was a mistake because all I want to do is play it. Um, but I mean, it's just grinding. There's no story. 
Uh, exactly. No, there actually, there absolutely is a story. Is uh, it good? Not really. Uh, uh, but I, I've heard this is more streamlined and more casualized than other monsters hunters. Oh, absolutely untrue. Uh, it is super hard. Uh, super hot. It is super hot. The problem with Monster Hunter and the people who love it is that there's a certain subsection of the gaming public that calls things casualized when things have been removed that are extraneous and irritating. So like how people call Persona 5 casualized because they introduced save st- spots and dungeons and you didn't have to run the whole dungeon each time. Exactly. So here's, here's something that people have criticized the new Monster Hunter for saying that it has been casualized. If you There's run, a button that just kills a monster. If you run past an herb or an ingredient you want to pick up, by the way, there are dozens. Yeah. Dozens no, of those. I played the I played the stupid beta. Yeah. And I never had any shots for my slingshot because I wasn't picking stuff up the ground. Yeah. You know how you pick it up? You hit circle. It's picked up relatively instantly. Your character goes swoop. No like there's long- a little inter- in No longer do you have to. Yeah. In in Monster Hunter, when you did that, you, you would go And then you would have it. It took five to six seconds every time. This game is very fun. It's really fluid. How come when I kill a monster, I can only harvest from it three times, even though the whole corpse is still there? Well, that's all it has on it. Before it it is eaten. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, that's all it has on it. No, that... that, uh, I don't want to have to kill the same monster 25 times to get all the bandages that I need. That Baroth Baroth was actually made of two Baroth ridges and a tear. Yeah. That's all he had on... That's all that was salvageable. (laughs) No... Um, why? Why you would think they would come up with a way to defeat a monster that doesn't damage all the parts? You'd think they'd hit it with not giant swords, which I don't know. Someone made that point. I made that funny point about a previous Monster Hunter to a friend of mine, and I was like, "How come I can only get like two wyvern scales?" And they're like, "How much deer meat could you get if you hit it with a cleaver <laughs> the size of a house?" All right, that's. Somewhat fair. What kind uh, of character you roll? Kind of. What kind of tune are uh, you rolling? I've got an insect glaive tune. Uh, the insect glaive is actually awesome. Is that one of the new ones? It's the newest one. No one uses it. Like I, I look for information about people who are using the insect glaive. No one's on board. The insect glaive is great the game because just came out four days ago. There's there's one button combination that launches you into the air, and you can air combo things. And you can dash around in the air. Insect glaive for life. <sighs> and you get to nurture an insect. But when we play together, I don't know if I'm going to make a new character, but I'm definitely going to roll a different weapon. Because I want to live that heavy bowgun life. Oh, heavy bowgun. Heavy bowgun. I'm more of a fan of the heavy machine gun. Heavy machine gun. Heavy machine gun. Uh, yeah. Heavy Bogan is where I want my life to be lit. Heavy Bogan sounds like a wrestler who retired a while ago. From parts unknown, Heavy Bogan. Ding, ding, ding. 